Friday, July 9, 2010 was the date. My bride and I rode our motorcycles out of our house at 5.45 p.m., exactly nine months to the day. I was riding my Harley-Davidson Road King while she was on our Harley-Davidson Heritage Softail. For six months, we'd been planning this nine-day journey to the Smoky Mountains. We were also looking forward to being away, just the two of us, because it had been a difficult adjustment period since we'd married. Two middle-aged individuals are marrying, both of us obstinate and starting a new family with one teen boy and one preteen special needs boy. We met on Match.com in our 40s, both of us having the strangest impression that we'd known each other our entire lives. We became crazy in love with each other, liked spending time and being with each other, yet we still experienced many of the first-year marriage difficulties. We did have a disagreement or two, or three, largely about parenting approaches. It had been raining for many days in central Oklahoma, but the clouds had cleared and the sun was beaming, with temperatures hovering around 100 degrees. We've cleared the sky for you both to leave tonight, for sure, shouted the heavens. Is it a coincidence or a divine call? We intended to leave the house that evening and ride only approximately 120 miles east, staying the night at the inn before setting out with the sun rising the next morning. Kathy had notified me the night before, after returning home from a professional organization meeting, that I had put her travel bag on her bike backwards. I then informed her that I had not, that I had strapped her travel bag to her backrest and rested in our saddle rather than her luggage rack because the amount of items she had packed overhung her luggage rack by three inches. She said that she needed all of that stuff because even on a motorcycle ride, a woman requires space for makeup, various shoes, and curling irons. Knowing Kathy and how she felt about her things, I simply laughed. Before leaving on Friday afternoon, and after double-checking our travel packs to ensure they were secure on the bikes, we kissed, held hands, and prayed to Jesus to keep us safe, as many bikers do. The photo below was taken by my wife Kathy with her iPhone and posted to her Facebook wall. It was of me inspecting her travel pack to ensure its safety. We were backing out of our garage when I got off my back, came over to Kathy, and kissed her again. We then left our house for what we thought would be a wonder. We were a long way away and nowhere near our destination. Meteorologists also projected that once that specific cell passed near town, the state will be dry for the first time in several days. We kissed again as I assisted Kathy with a rain suit. I stared back at her as we remounted our bikes, still in shock that such an angel as her had come into my life, fallen in love with me, and then said yes when I asked her to marry me. Exactly nine months and one hour. We are on our honeymoon riding our bikes to the Smoky Mountains for nine days. I dismounted and walked back to her bike. She inquired as to what was wrong. Nothing. I just want to kiss you again, I said. Yes, there was a voice in my head begging me to go back and kiss Kathy. We'd kissed four times since saying our prayers in the garage, and I had no idea that the next kiss with Kathy would be my last. We had just driven about 20 miles down the road since stopping to put on our rain gear when a torrential rainstorm sprang up and the clouds darkened. The rain was pelting down harder than I'd ever seen it. This storm was slowing down all traffic because no one on a bike, car, or truck could see the road ahead of them as they traveled. Later that day, 
news sources described the two-hour storm as seemingly coming out of nowhere, with no warning, and as the greatest pelting of rain many had seen in months. I was starting to worry about Kathy since, although being an accomplished motorcycle rider, she had far less seat time than I did. When I noticed my front tire hydroplaning, I realized it was time to pull over. I motioned for us to pull over onto the shoulder, which we did, but we had little protection from the rain. Kathy spotted an overpass about a quarter mile down the road, so we went up to it, staying cautiously on the shoulder and My concern was that if I reduced our speed to less than 50 miles per hour, some dum-dum moving at too fast a speed for the rainy circumstances would slam into the back of Kathy's bike. I continued to hydroplane as we drove down the road. I finally decided to pull over and we'd have to endure being poured on while on the road's shoulder. We pulled over to the shoulder about two miles past the overpass, as far as we could without dropping our bikes in the grassy area away from the roadway. We turned off our ignitions, activated our emergency flashers, dismounted our bikes, and positioned ourselves away from them while holding hands. We were off our bikes for about 10 minutes, in a really safe location as far away from traffic as possible. We were still wearing our dark goggles since the storm had arrived so rapidly, and because, before the storm, the sun had been shining and the temperature had been around 100 degrees. Our bodies and boots were saturated after roughly 10 minutes. Wow. I definitely hope this hotel is a blow dryer, I said to Kathy, since we'll need one to dry our boots. Kathy burst up laughing and added, Of course they would, sweetie. We're wearing Harley boots, and no hotel will let them get wet. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. We both burst out laughing at that point, and with our helmet shields halfway up, I glanced at her and whispered, I love you. I love you too, she whispered back to me, and we kissed. This would be our fifth kiss since leaving the garage an hour or so earlier. And it would be the final time I kissed Kathy while she was still alive. As I lifted my head from kissing her, I turned slightly to the right and facing westward. I noticed a car riding the shoulder, appearing to be traveling very quickly and heading directly at us. I didn't have time to think. I believe I understood immediately that I needed to protect my wife. I grabbed her by the shoulders and said, Watch out! I pushed us both up into the air hoping to get us further into the grassy area and away from the approaching car. It was, ironically, a man driving his car at a much too fast speed for the rainy conditions of the road. He was approaching the back of a semi-truck too quickly. He attempted a quick stop, lost control, veered, and hydroplaned onto the road's shoulder where we were parked and standing. He was driving so rapidly that he didn't have time or space to halt. Unfortunately, his first view was the bikes, and because he didn't notice our trajectory or us after I grabbed Kathy and pushed her, he diverted away from the bikes, putting him and us in the same approaching route. This would be the last time I felt my wife Kathy alive. I heard a loud thud in what seemed like an instant, 
I later realized this was the sound of the automobile slamming into our bodies. This thud would ring in my ears for months afterward. At the time of impact, the driver was estimated to be traveling at about 60 miles per hour. The following photographs will discuss what I consider to be my near-death experience, or as some others who don't necessarily believe 10 minutes after the accident, according to his words. He initially went to Kathy's aid, only to discover she had died. He told me that when he arrived at my side, there were other individuals staring down at me, as if realizing I'd also passed. He went on to explain that when he grabbed my hand, it was cold and lifeless. According to his words, I appeared to be devoid of vitality. Something told him to talk to me, and he began to say, Come back to us. Come back. This was the first time I felt myself being touched while laying down since hearing the thud. I was later told that when I was hit, I lost my grasp on Kathy and shot up onto the bonnet of the car, crashed into the hood, then rebounded up and into the windshield, smashing it inside. Then I bounced up on my right side again, plummeted down the side of the car, and broke off the driver's side rearview mirror before coming to rest on the ground. Kathy was dragged roughly 120 feet under the car, with the car crushing her lower body. She was declared deceased at the spot. She most certainly passed into paradise and into God's arms within minutes of impact, according to reports. I held this to be true in my heart because I couldn't take the thought of her suffering on the wet ground. My mind recalled being in a position similar to the floating I've come to understand. I recall another me stepping away from my body, rising up, gazing down, and seeing a bunch of people standing and bending down to look at someone. Much of this time has now only come to my conscious awareness after months of rehearsing it in my memory. After numerous repeats, I discovered it was me. They were staring at me, as if I didn't know what to do or how to act. There were a lot of people, but I don't recall anyone speaking. Something crucial happened to me during this time, and I was only able to explain it after numerous mental replays. When I returned to a, a live state with a small child, Tyler, holding my hand and telling me, come back to us, come back, I remembered having a lot of tears in my eyes. I couldn't move, and for the first time since that thud, I was in severe pain all throughout my body. Aside from the discomfort, my entire body seemed paralyzed. I couldn't move a single portion of my body. I could wiggle a little, but I couldn't move from side to side or up and down any limb. I was also struggling to breathe. I was gasping for air and felt as if my entire chest and ribcage had collapsed in. I remember feeling Kathy, but not in the usual way, while I was looking over my body or hovering. We linked, but not as our physical selves, but in a way that is difficult to describe. I suppose it may be regarded as a psychic or a kinetic link. As I replay this telepathic connection in my thoughts, I notice it also featured another presence. It appeared that all three of us were engaged in a tug-of-war. As I try to process this, it appears like the tug-of-battle was similar to this presence, or Angel had a grip on Kathy, and Kathy had a hold on me. There was a back-and-forth tug, and then a forceful thug, yanking me away from Kathy's presence. It appeared that I cried out and shouted to myself, You're gone, aren't you? You've left. I burst into tears. This had to be the same moment I returned and heard Tyler say his remarks. 
I've been trying since that night to pull this all together from a human perspective and understand what happened that night. I've reached the following conclusions. 1. There must be a reason why I experienced no pain or discomfort during this time. 2. The presence, or angel of God, that was clutching Kathy was telling her that I couldn't leave because God had stated it wasn't my time. 3. As stubborn and persistent as she was, she couldn't accept the fact that we weren't going to paradise together, so she held on to me. 4. When she realized she wasn't going to win this tug of war, she negotiated with her angel, saying she would go only if she knew her guy, me, was going to be taken care of. 5. With Tyler by my side, the only one among many to kneel down, grab my hand, and talk to me, Kathy's kinetic bond to me was severed. I began to cry as I realized she was leaving without me. This physical strength was telling me in my thoughts, You're gone, aren't you? You've left. I would not remember Kathy's death if I returned to a living state. I was constantly yelling for her, over and over. It would be many hours later, when my stepdaughter Beth entered the emergency examining room, that I would know Kathy had died. I kept screaming for Kathy after I was awake again, while lying on the ground with a feeling of total body paralysis. Someone was said to be with her. I could see a gurney being wheeled into another ambulance, which I knew was Kathy's, from the top of my head after the paramedics had arrived. I tried turning to see more, but I couldn't. I kept asking about her, but all I got were phrases like, there's someone with her. A part of me wondered why I hadn't heard a siren, but I couldn't put it all together at the time. After the ambulance had left the scene, it appeared that I'd begun to regain movement in my body parts, but in excruciating pain. They drove me to the local hospital after the paramedics stabilized my body and Kathy was removed. My daughter Beth would inform me that Kathy, her mother, had died at this hospital. After a thorough examination and numerous x-rays, the doctors discovered no severe injuries and I was free to go home with only one minor slash, a cut to my right knee, bound by six sutures. I later learned that Kathy was taken by ambulance to a local funeral home, eliminating the need to go to an emergency room because she was pronounced dead at the scene by the medical examiner. I've come to a handful of additional conclusions after revisiting the events of the night and my thoughts far too many times. I believe that, as superficial as my injuries were in the end, they were quite real while Kathy was still on the scene. If my injuries had allowed me to move, my first instinct would have been to rush to her and try to save her. A divine intervention, the appearance of an angel, prohibited me from moving. Yes, I suppose that is precisely what has kept me from going. Another conclusion I've come to believe is that God instructs our spirit inside of us and without our conscious knowledge to complete a certain amount of unfinished business before we leave. That night was predestined by God to be Kathy's final voyage on earth and my adventure into a near-death experience. Looking back at several of Kathy's behaviors and tying them to unfinished business, I'm taken aback by a brief conversation we had several weeks before her death. We were casually discussing how, while riding a motorcycle, we all ride with death only a few feet away. Don, I'm going first because I don't know how to keep going if you died first, she explained. So keep in mind that Beth is the one person who will become the most valuable to you in your future. I asked an incredulous question in response. Beth, is that your daughter? 
I'm not even convinced she likes me. Oh, sure she likes you. And trust me when I tell you what I've told you, Kathy replied. Beth and I have become really close, as I have with all of my stepchildren. But Beth and I have formed an amazingly great closeness with each other, for which I'm extremely grateful and blessed. I also know that, in the case of an unplanned death, the survivor frequency thinks he or she was unable to say their goodbyes. I initially believed so, but after replaying the tragedy in my head, I understood we'd been granted the divine opportunity to say our final goodbyes. How many couples in love who are engaged in an accident like ours are given the opportunity to kiss each other not once, not twice, but five times, especially on a motorbike ride? And the final time, the fifth time, the final kiss, seconds before impact and seconds before Kathy's death, was preceded by each of us saying we loved each other. Is it chance or divine intervention? Since that fateful night, which changed my life forever, I've read a lot about near-death experiences and concluded that I, too, had one, albeit not as deep or as long as many of the people I've read about. It's been two years since Kathy died, and my life continues to change and evolve on a daily basis. I've attempted numerous times to delve further into the region of my thoughts. My mind tunes out whenever I'm near to having any more disclosed. I've discovered that I no longer dread death, especially while riding my motorcycle. I don't ride recklessly or live carelessly, but I've grown closer to my religion than ever before, and I'm looking forward to my trip to paradise, where I'll be reunited with Kathy and we'll hold hands, bend our heads, and pray to God, just like we do at church every Sunday. Only this time, we'll be in His Holiness's presence. We had only been dating for three years, yet it felt like we'd known each other our entire lives. We both agreed that God was responsible for our meeting. Many of her personality qualities seemed to have seeped into me when she let go of the energetic attachment we shared. Since her passing, and since my near-death experience, I've become more at ease, forgiving, thankful, and patient, just like she was. I've also discovered that I have a positive way of relaying my thoughts, feelings, and experiences. Many people have suggested that I publish a book about my interactions with Kathy, the accident, our time together, and how her death influenced my life. I'm thinking about doing it with my improvised diary of my near-death experience as a springboard. Kathy was the inspiration for my soul and heart. We're not perfect, but we're perfect for one other, she used to say.